Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Um, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we can have the kids, once the ushers get back to the back, the kids can... uh, Go ahead and head out if we have any. Do we have any kids today? We got any little ones that are going back? Sophia's like, I'm not a kid. I'm not staying. I'm staying in here. That's fine, Sophia. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to present to you today. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I want to present to you today this this sermon in three parts. Okay, three parts. Okay, part one is going to be kind of an overview where I'm going to discuss some big picture ideas uh, that have to do with First Corinthians. Part two uh, will be a commentary. I'm just going to go through the passage that we're looking at. We're going to do some commentary. And then part three is going to be an application of one key point. Okay? So I'm giving you what you're looking forward to here. This is what's going to happen. Okay? I, I hope none of you start gauging then, well, how much time do we have left? And he's only in part two. I don't want to see any of that going on. Um, <clears throat> but uh, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, ask that God will be with us through this, right? His spirit will guide my words, but also guide your hearing and understanding. And that the end result will be, you will have heard from God today, right? That's the hope. And we need the miracle to happen for that to happen, right? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. And I just want to thank you for everyone that's in this room this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, just be with me as I speak. That the words that I have, no matter what I have written down here and prepared. God, I pray that the end result would be exactly what you would want to be said. I pray for each person in this room that they'd be ready and willing to hear and listen to what the text has for them this morning. Lord, I pray that the end result would be hearts that are open to hearing from you. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would then translate and carry that message right to the depths of each one of us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so part one is the overview, okay? So we're going to start with a little bit of an overview. All right, we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while now, and we're actually, the end of chapter four is going to conclude a chunk, okay? So just looking at the whole book, the end of chapter four concludes a chunk. And so I'm going to read a quote here. This is Ben Witherington. He says this, He says, this concludes, talking about the end of chapter 4, this concludes the first major argument of the letter, which has been concerned with three things there. Notice the three things he points out. And I'm using this quote because this actually, this quote helped me. Okay, because when you stretch out, like it's one thing to look at a passage of Scripture all like real quickly, but see, when we're doing a little bit each week, sometimes it's easy to miss the big picture. And so this was really helpful to me. He says there's three things, and he's absolutely right. I totally 100% agree with this. The three things, the character of true wisdom, right? What does true wisdom look like versus what maybe you've learned from the world, what the Corinthians had learned, what maybe you've thought, this is wisdom, right? What is the character of true wisdom, True leadership, what does leadership look like really in God's economy? And true self-evaluation is where we got to last week with Pastor John. So these are the three things. True wisdom, true leadership, true self-evaluation. Ben Witherton then goes on to say in the next paragraph in his commentary concerning the Corinthians, he says this, Paul has portrayed the Corinthians in two irreconcilable ways in regard to their calling in regard to their self-perception. 
Okay, so we don't get lost in Ben Witherington's phraseology here. He's saying this. He said, as Paul was going through in the first part of this argument, right? Because we think about this in one letter. He lays out this part in the first four chapters, right? He didn't have chapter breakdowns, but that's how we've broken it down. And he's shown that the Corinthians, as he's displaying this teaching on true wisdom, true leadership, and true self-perception, he said the Corinthians are missing it in two key ways. Their calling, their purpose, you could think of it. Um, and also, what does he say there in regard to their self-perception specifically? How do they view themselves? I think this is super important because, let's be honest, Sometimes our perception of ourselves, just like the Corinthians, can be off. Have you ever thought you were doing just great to find out later you were missing it big time? I hate that feeling, by the way. Right? I hate that. Um, I can remember uh, seeing that from both perspectives. Remember one, when I was in high school, there was a teacher and he was making a joke and he thought we were laughing at his joke. But he had unintentionally, the way he had said the joke, had said something that was inappropriate. He didn't realize it. So we were laughing. I'm sorry, bad. I was not a good kid. Okay, so let's just get past that. And I, I, I always remember that because I thought, man, that's so embarrassing. Like, I, I don't want that to happen as a teacher. I hate, like, if the kids are laughing about something. I hope they're laughing about what I've just made them laugh about and not laugh. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hate that feeling. Our self-perceptions can be off. There's plenty of scriptures that go along with this. There's, there's passages of scripture that says, um, one of my, the ones that always sticks out of my mind is when Jesus says, not all who call Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. The, the thing about that, and the reason why I mention that is because he goes on to describe this situation where there's going to be some people, in fact, he says many, that are going to get after death, they're going to stand before God expecting fully to enter into heaven. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. The, the thing that always gets me that, about that passage is that the surprise element of these people, of all the surprises that you're going to get, that is not one of them, is it? So I think that what he's saying about the Corinthians applies as well to us. He goes on here to say he questions their answers and assumptions about themselves and then he says this, in chapters 5 through 15 of 1 Corinthians, so what we're, what's going to happen after this, Paul will go on to provide example after example to say he's right. So he's made this teaching and in the process pointed out some things, shortcomings in the Corinthians. 5 through 15 is going to be him going through example after example of showing, oh, Paul is right. Because he's going to get more specific. And this is what a lot of us know Corinthians for, is that, that he gets very specific as he goes through. In fact, the very next chapter, very specific. Okay? Now, I think that the same could be true of Danville's churches, of us. Okay? And so it's going to be tough because uh, what I'm going to talk about now could be taken a lot of different ways. Okay? Could be heard different ways. Understand, I'm just laying out, I think that there's some connections between the Corinthian church their culture, and our culture. I absolutely 100% believe when I read Corinthians, I'm going, this is so applicable even today. 
<clears throat> Let me give you some examples here that connect to what I was just talking about. I'm going to be, use some specific examples, not things particular, but just across the board in our culture to help you see that I think that there's some element among those who call themselves Christians in Danville, and maybe even our, in our own church, um, might come up short. Let me give you some examples that get your mind thinking this way. How about a lack of faithfulness to church, or more specifically, to being a true member and not just an attender? How about the ease at which some get offended at their brothers and sisters in Christ? How about the way we pick churches and evaluate the quality of a church and a pastor based on how good of a speaker he is? Now, if you know Corinthians and you know what we've been talking about, you'll start to see, like, man, this is exactly what Paul's been talking about. I'm just taking ideas that are represented and trying to make them, you know, more current in my words. How about the way we criticize others in our church and, and other churches? How about the importance that we place on what a church has to offer? How about the segregated nature of our churches based on opinions or styles or preferences or all kinds of other things? How about the lack of connection between what we know and what we do, how we live? How about the feelings we get when we are asked to serve in church or the expectations we place on others who do serve in church? Key word there being the expectations. How do you view those things? How about our aversion, many of us, not all of us, to personal Bible study and growth? How about our lack of personal responsibility to Christian living? Our lack of repentance with certain sins? But the way Christianity is treated as an add-on, the same way we treat add-ons to nice cars, like heated seats. It's nice, but not necessary, and I'll get it if I can afford it. I honestly believe some view Christianity the same way they view heated seats in cars. If it doesn't cost too much, I'd love to have it. <clears throat> All of these things come back to the same things that Paul is dealing with in the Corinthians. How do you see yourself? How do you see your purpose? How do you see others? What does it truly mean to be wise or important or powerful? Paul has been calling these things into question. And last week when John was preaching, Paul resorted to some harsh criticism in the form of sarcasm. Basically saying to the Corinthians, man, you guys got it figured out. You guys have got it figured out. And Paul going, I wish it, whatever it is you guys have got figured out, I wish I could figure it out because I'd love to join you in whatever it is you got. Obviously sarcasm, right? Clearly, if anybody's got something figured out, it's Paul, not the Corinthians. And so Paul is clearly being, and John was talking about this, this aspect of sarcasm where he's saying, man, if I could just be like you guys. He does that to wake them up as we would use sarcasm. I mean, I've even used elements of this with my own students before where I've, they've talked about, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I've said, I, I can remember one case in particular where I had a student who was just not getting their math and they were really struggling and I said, man, I wish I could be like you. Like, you never do any homework, and, and you, you're able to just grasp it without any practice at all. That's amazing. And they knew I was being sarcastic because they weren't getting it. <laughs> and they needed the practice. My point being, 
hey, maybe actually you're missing something here. That's exactly what Paul's doing. Man, Corinthians, you guys got it together. I wish we could be more like you. Obvious sarcasm, clearly it isn't that they figured something out that Paul is missing. It's the other way around. So let's go to part two. Now we're going to take a look at the commentary here. So you have some big picture ideas, I hope, kind of setting the stage. But now we're going to look at the last part of chapter four, and I'm going to go through a little bit of a commentary. So I'm going to go verse by verse and point out a few things. Okay, I think there's going to be some things and you're going to go, oh, that's interesting, or mm, oh, that's interesting, or ouch, that thing's a little. Okay, so there's lots of little different reactions you might get as we go through. But then at the end of this, I'm going to go, let's focus in on one key element. Okay? Paul starts verse 14 this way, and I'll put it up there in just a second. He was just using sarcasm, bringing home a point, right? And then verse 14, he says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, before I go any further, I want to point out just a couple things about this verse. Number one, I know exactly why he's saying this. It's so very easy when you're admonishing someone for them to think in their head, I'm just horrible. I have to be honest, that is not the goal at all. When I've gotten onto my children or I've gotten onto my students and said, hey, you need to do this, my goal is never to have that. I'm not sitting there hoping that their response is to come back and go, I'm just a loser. That's not what I'm wanting at all. What am I wanting? What do you think? Change? Stop doing that. Start doing this. So even if I resort to some sarcasm, is my goal that they go, oh, I'm a loser. Is that my goal? No. So Paul's goal here, when he's talking to the Corinthians and he wants to voice it, and this is why he says this right here, his goal, he goes, I want you to know, I'm not saying these things so that you just feel shame, but it's to admonish, correct the behavior, okay? Correct the behavior. Now, as we go through this, this part of this commentary, you're gonna hear Paul say some things that don't sit well with you simply because we don't like authority. Now, I personally, I kind of like authority. I like being told what to do. I'm just going to be right up front with you. I much prefer somebody just telling me this is what you do. I, over the course of this last year, I had, I had two different jobs. First half of the year, I was an instructional coach. Second half of the year, I was a dean. Instructional coach, the job was wide open. I didn't like it. I'm like, what do I got to try to figure out what I'm going to do on a daily basis? Dean, it's like there's this list of kids that have been bad. And I have to go through the list talk to them, assign a discipline if necessary, talk to parents. I know exactly what I have to do. I love being told what to do. So there's a part of me that doesn't get this because I actually, I love it. I, I would much prefer somebody to come to and say, this is what you need to do. And I go, oh, okay, you know? I, 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 don't, I, I don't like like trying to figure, I don't like being put in a situation where somebody says, hey, just do whatever you think is the best thing to do because I'm like, well, what's the best thing to do? What do you think the best thing to do is? So there's an aspect of this I'm, I'm, I don't quite get, but I know some of you may have a little bit of trouble with authority and being told what to do. I would ask you to raise your hand and admit to that, but then, oh, I got one at least, okay? But I think some of you might have said, well, you can't tell me to raise my hand. So, I mean, it's, you know, um, 
We'll see what happens here. But Paul is going to, first of all, I mean, right off the bat, admonish. I mean, some of, we don't, some of us don't like that, do we? Admonish, who are you to admonish me? You're going to admonish me? I don't even know what admonish means, but I don't like the sound of it. Admonish. He's going to exert himself next as a father figure. Okay? After that, he's going to, as a father figure, tell them, imitate me. He says, do what I do. Okay? He then goes to say he's going to send someone to the church. He's going to send somebody there to show them what it's supposed to look like. And some of us, that would bother you. If you're honest, you're going to show me what it like, know what it looks like. Finally, at the very end, he's going to say something that's going to really bug some of you. You'll grimace. He talks about the word discipline. He even uses the word, it's translated rod. <laughs> rod? That doesn't sound very churchy, Matt. Well, this is why at this church we just teach what the Bible says, right? <laughs> I'm not making it up. Paul, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, so keep this verse in mind as we go through here. His goal is not shame, but change, correction. He's admonishing them. He says this next. For though you have countless guides, and some versions may even say, I think, ten thousands of guides, Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That word guide is literally, it's talking about what we would think of as a babysitter. Some households in this time period, they would hire somebody, especially the well-off household, they'd hire somebody to come in to take care of their kids, make sure they got to school, make sure they got back, make sure they learned some lessons while they were there. Paul's literally saying, you got a lot of babysitters. You could have a thousand babysitters, but you got one dad and it's me. That's what he's saying right here. You could have thousands of guides, but you got one dad, me. I can imagine myself saying that to my own charity. I don't care who was watching you. I'm dad. Listen to what I have to say. That's what he's doing right here. See, some of you, the youth like, don't like authority. People are going, oh, I don't know. Right? He explains why. He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. Right? That's the rest of this verse here. And he says this, I urge you then, because of that, because I'm your father, be imitators of me. This makes sense in the context of their culture. If, if your dad in this culture was a baker, right, what did you become? A baker. If your dad was a shepherd, what did you become? A shepherd. If your dad was a smith, what did you do? You became a smith. Now, I thought it was funny after I wrote those examples down, I thought, I actually picked three words that are also last names. You know, Shepard, Smith, and Baker. I, uh, sounds like a law firm. But, you know, here we have, you know, if your dad's a lawyer, you become a lawyer. Uh, so uh, here you have, the, you have these three things, right? And so, so you have this idea, this fatherhood idea that Paul's demonstrating where he's saying, as you've seen me do, this is what you do. And that's what they would have been familiar with that in that culture. D.A. Carson, one of my favorite theologians, says in the context of these chapters, of course, what Paul wants them to imitate is his passion to live life in light of the cross. He does not expect them to suffer in exactly the same way he does. 
Not exactly the same way. He does not demand that they all become apostles. That's not what he's saying. Uh, or plant churches in distant lands. No. What he does expect of them is that they will imitate his values, his stance with respect to the world, his priorities, of his valuation of the exclusive centrality, the, the centralness of the gospel of a crucified Messiah. Paul says, that is why I sent you Timothy. So now I say I'm sending someone to you. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some important things right here, right? We're still working through our commentary. Paul, he says, I'm sending to you Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy was actually in Corinth when Paul first arrived in Corinth. He had a little bit of time where he's preaching, but Timothy and Silas actually came, if you remember that from Acts. So they're, they're familiar with Timothy. They know Timothy. He's been there. He says, I'm sending to you Timothy. And what he's wanting him to do is remind you of my ways. This means pattern of life, how I live. I want him to remind you of that. So basically... He says, imitate me, and so if you need, since I'm not there, I'm sending somebody that kind of looks like me, so to speak. Not physically, but behaves the way I do, thinks the way I do, acts the way I do. You, you watch him to see what I look like, because I'm going to show you what Jesus looks like. I mentioned at the end of Sunday school this morning how that thought, and I'm not going to deal with it right now, but that thought was hitting me this morning, how... Uh, we sometimes we hear this idea, imitate me, sounds kind of boastful, but it's, it's, it's not, it's, just, it's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to teach you not just by my words, but how I live. So I'm going to need to act in such a way. And I think some of us, we don't want that. We don't want to get to a place, but Paul clearly, not only himself, but then he's delegating it out. Here's Timothy. And I think that that tradition passes on. Then other people after Timothy would have risen up to say, Imitate me. And that's been carried down year after year. And so there's a real sense that me as your pastor and John as your pastor and others that are in this church that have been Christians for a long time, you all ought to aim for a point in your life where you can turn around and look at younger Christians and say, imitate me. And many of us, we don't want to get to that point. We don't mind talking about it. We don't mind pointing at somebody else, be like him. But to get to that place in your own walk where you can say, if you want to know what a Christian looks like, a follower of Jesus, I freely open up my life to be examined. That's tough. That's what we all ought to be aiming for as this example plays down. D.A. Carson continues to say this. He says, sometimes talking about this aspect with Timothy and the fact that it's going on to say, um, you know, my pattern of life. D.A. Carson says, sometimes the elementary truths of Scripture are not understood or believed, and it is necessary to go over the basics again. Here, however, Paul gives the impression that the biggest problem with the Corinthians is that they are not living up to what they know. Judging by these first four chapters of his epistles to them, many of the Corinthians were not even making the connections between what they believed and how they should live. Do you see what he's saying here? The Corinthians 
He's saying, you need to imitate this pattern of life. And I, I absolutely agree with what D.A. Carson is saying. These basic things, and he's even talking about, I've, I'm teaching you the basic things. But he doesn't need to go over them again. What he does need to do is say, now t- at least take what you know and do it. They would be the first to insist, the Corinthians, that Jesus died and rose again. But they could not grasp how this historical reality a Jesus who was God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, came, lived, was killed, put in a grave, and then three days later said, I'm up, and rose again. They were having trouble taking that reality that that really happened, right? The supreme moment in God's redemptive purposes that it not only achieved their salvation, but also must shape the way they live. I'm hoping at this point, once again, maybe you're thinking back to what I said at the beginning. I, like Paul, I don't say these things to make you feel ashamed, but to admonish you. And I hope that you're starting to ask those questions in your head. Maybe, see, because if it's about self-perception, maybe your perception has been off. Maybe asking yourself, maybe this is me. Maybe this could be me. I wonder if I'm having trouble. Like, that kind of sounds like me when I think about it. I know, first insist that Jesus died and rose again, but having trouble grasping, and maybe you're even hearing that going, I don't even know if I know what he means by that. That might be a clue, right? How that ought to shape how I live? Interesting. What does that mean? The problem, this is the problem we might have as well. Maybe you and others in Danville can tell me the basics of Christianity. You know that Jesus came, he died and rose again. That he was divine, that his death was for our salvation. We even know some basic ethical, moral living, but the reality is that you might be just a nice person. And maybe you even see yourself as And this shows right here, if you're missing the cross idea, you may even think of yourself as better than others. But you still don't have this Jesus crucified, buried, dead, risen again kind of life. Paul is going to come there as well to Corinth. And he says this to them, some are arrogant. Now, try to keep in mind his beginning statement. He's not, it's not about shame, it's admonish, but he has to say some hard things in the middle. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. I wonder, did some of them maybe even say, well, he's never coming back. He's not coming back. Oh, he can write his letters, but he's not coming back. I wonder if that may have been an aspect of it. Paul, he's never going to come here again. <clears throat> but he says this, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, if it's, if it's God's will. Now we'll find out, listen so carefully to this. This particular verse after this one that's connected to this one, I underlined in my Bible a couple years ago. It was one of those verses that when I came across, I underlined it and I just sat there and went, huh. You ever do that? Huh. You just kind of sit there. That's what I have with this next verse. And, and when I came across this again, 
I had the same reaction earlier this week, leading up even into yesterday going, hmm, hmm. Listen to what he says. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Now, it's super important that you understand that this word power, the Greek word that's used here is the word dynamis, which was where we get the word dynamite. Okay? But don't be confused because this word power is not talking about something miraculous. It's quite often used in Scripture. In fact, most of the time it's used in Scripture to talk about, I'm going to say the word effectiveness. Something has power. It does something. I put the key in my van. I turn the ignition. If it has power, what happens? Something happens. The engine turns over. If a medication that you take is potent, right? You feel its effects. Something happens. That word power in this case is talking about effectiveness. And so Paul says, I'm going to come not to hear what they're saying, but to see what's happening based on what they say. Listen to this next verse. Because Paul's not planning on coming there and having some discussions. Paul's planning on uncovering the power. He says this. This is the one that I underlined a couple years ago. For the kingdom of God does not consist, it's not made up of, does not consist in talk, literally the word word, does not consist in word, talk, but there's the word again, but in power, effectiveness. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in effectiveness. Some have wrongly looked at this verse and thought that it was talking about, oh, see, it's less important the preaching and more important miracles. That is not at all. You can't read Corinthians and come to that conclusion. Paul has emphasized over and over and over again, he preached the word of the cross. What is he talking about here? He's saying there's, there's two different things that could happen. There's talk, and there's something that's effective. I think that you can approach on what this means. You can get really close to what this means when you say something like this. Actions speak louder than words. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's getting really close to what Paul's saying here. Not quite there, but really close. Actions speak louder than words. I think even a step, a little bit step closer might be, hey, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Have you ever heard that one? Oh man, that's getting really close to what he's saying. I think it's a little bit bigger than that, but if, if we go with that idea, I think that'll be okay for the moment, okay? Talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And Paul's saying, I'm going to come there, and I'm going to see, I, I don't just want to hear what they're saying. I want to see what's happening. How does what they're teaching unfold into life? He ends this section by saying this. And this is the part that might make you grimace a little bit because this doesn't sound very, what maybe you think of as church-like. And it really may not sound very loving to you. But he says, what do you want? 
Paul says, what do you wish? How do you want me to arrive? Should I come to you with a rod? Or with love and the spirit of gentleness? I think he's alluding a little bit to Jesus himself, who was considered a person of gentleness and meekness and kindness. But at the same time, what did he do in the temple? What did he resort to in the temple? Was it not a rod? Did he not drive the money changers out of the temple? Didn't the the zeal, energy for God consume him, doesn't he say? And Jesus, kind, gentle Jesus, at some point, in fact, I think it says he fashions one, doesn't he? Like a whip. Get out of here. I think Paul's alluding a little bit to that. How do you want me to arrive? Like the Jesus in the temple driving out the money changers? Or do you want to arrive like the Jesus you really want to see? Gentle and kind. So let's move into part three. Part three is our application, and I've summarized it by saying talk versus power, okay? Talk versus power. I'm going to bring this application to you in the form of three examples because I I, I, I struggled with the way of just putting it into words, but I thought, let's just go with examples. Now, before I give these examples, it's hugely important that you understand that each one of these three examples I've derived from what I've already learned in Corinthians to what I also know is coming. One of the examples specifically comes from the very next chapter, okay? Now, I say that for two reasons. One, because I want you to have ringing in your ears what Paul said at the beginning. I'm going to say these things not to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, okay? So, heart of of love. And so, if at any point I come across and you feel like I'm maybe being sarcastic, I hope not. I, I really hope that doesn't come across that way at all. But if at some point you feel, or if at some point you go, is he talking about me? Is that me? Is he saying the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but he's actually talking about me? I'm not. I'm talking about Corinthians. If there's any like, I feel like a TV show, if there's any likeness or resemblance to people that you know, (laughs) it's purely unintentional. I genuinely actually shared these with Charity this morning, and I was saying, here's the three I got, you know, just kind of, she becomes my sounding board. I like to share with her tidbits, you know, if I'm, if I'm having trouble thinking through what it's going to sound like or come across as. And, and, and so I was sharing these with her this morning and, and uh, she encouraged me to emphasize this. And I, I think she's absolutely right because I was sharing them with her and she's like, hmm, I don't know. But then I, I mentioned that, it was, that this is coming from right out of Corinthians. And I even saw that her facial expression, she's like, oh, okay. And so I want you to know that. If there's anything in here that you hear that you go, is he talking about me? I'm not. I'm talking about what I see in Corinthians. You ready for the three examples? Okay. Example number one. Try to pick names. I I, I hope I don't have anybody's name in here. Are there any Judys? Are you a Judy? Okay, Bob and Judy. I hope you don't know a Bob and Judy. I thought for a second, oh man, did I forget get the names? I was trying going through trying to think of names. Like I hope I don't know any Bobs and Judies. I hope there's no Bobs and Judies that show up. I'm looking around. I don't think anybody Bobs and Judies. Example one: Bob and Judy. Okay, Bob and Judy. I want to do this in a way. I, 
I, I struggle because I, I, I tend to fall into the humorous. I, I just naturally go that way. And there's some humorous elements, but sometimes that comes across sarcastic, and I don't really want to do that. And there's elements of that. But, but there's also an element of, what did I say? Just do it. My wife said, just do it. Okay, all right. I'll jump into it. I'm so nervous about this. Uh, all right, so Bob and Judy. I want you to picture Bob and Judy as a little bit older married couple, okay? Been in the church for a long time. Try not to picture people in the room, okay? Bob and Judy, they've been in the church for a long time, okay? I don't know if I would call Bob necessarily a leader in the church, but he's been an usher. He's been a deacon. He's held some roles in the church that are important. They're pretty faithful. They're a lot. Bob and Judy have been faithful for a long time. In fact, if you go back, Bob and Judy have probably been in the same church for as long as they can remember. Bob, though, I mean, he's got an opinion about everything, to be honest with you. One of Bob's favorite phrases that he starts off with is, you know what their problem is? You know what their problem is? You can sense the disdain on Bob's face when it comes to the youth in our town. He's quite often voiced his dislike of millennials, or as he calls them, malaysials. <laughs> Bob has forgotten, and Judy has forgotten, because she goes right along with it. In fact, you should hear them at home when they're not bat and still in church. Oh, did you? Oh, that is so frustrating. I can't believe what? Why can't they get their act together? This church is not going to survive if we don't have more people come up. Bob and Judy have forgotten that every good thing that they have, and I'm not talking about their stuff. About anything good in them is a gift of God's grace. If they knew that, they would look out across this community, not with disdain, but with extreme compassion, because they would look and they would say, If not, but for the grace of God, if not, but for the grace of God. They talk. They know all the details about Christianity and what you ought to do in church. Just ask them, Bob and Judy. There's no power because that cross-centered mindset hasn't infiltrated into every aspect of their lives. Bob and Judy are especially annoyed with example number two. No Sally's in here? I almost went with Devin, but then I was afraid there might be a Devin. Sally is new to church, just started coming. She loves church, loves so many elements of it. But lately, there's been a few things that are setting her ill at ease. She didn't recognize it fully until the other day in the sermon, the pastor was preaching, and in the text, it talked about, well, before I say the word, as soon as she heard the word, she cringed. 
She didn't recognize it, but it was there. The pastor said the word marriage. Sally has had some bad experiences with that particular word. It hasn't gone so well for her extended family. There's plenty of horrible examples of how it's gone wrong. She's currently, though nobody in the church knows it, currently living with someone that she's not married to. And she loves all these elements of church. She loves all these aspects. But there's kind of a line that's been drawn. And I think it comes down to authority. You can't tell me what to do. There's a barbed wire fence that says, God, you can come so far but no further. She's sitting there thinking. She knows the details. She knows what God says. She likes talking about God when she's at work as well. She loves sharing about Jesus, his compassion, his grace. But the cross mindset hasn't filtered in all the way because if it had, Sally would never, never want to trample on the blood of Jesus, like it says in Hebrews, to continue in her sin. Because that's what it is. Sally works with Dave. Now Dave, any Daves in here? Um, Dave, this one's the toughest one to spot. Dave's interesting. Dave, Dave goes to her. Dave actually works with Sally. They work at the same place. He knows what's going on in her life, hasn't said anything to her. I might be able to summarize Dave with this idea. Dave's favorite church service is the one that he downloads at home. Church is great. In fact, Get him talking. He could tell you every radio preacher that's out there which ones are great, which ones are okay. He could even probably tell you the most current sermon series they're on. He's got it on his phone. He's got all these different. In fact, he will tell you how to download some great sermons. Like, oh man, you should. He's been reading some books. But man, there's something about actually going to church. He claims it's because there's aspects he just doesn't agree with or he just hasn't found the right one but the reality is church messy personal involved he was okay in fact he's been toying around with switching churches because he knows this other church where he can he knows this other church he can pop in sit down worship have some small talk, and pop out. Without, without ever having to truly get his hands dirty in people's lives. And he knows his pastor's been hinting at, even though he doesn't know if his pastor knows this or not, that maybe he should be the one to confront Sally. Maybe Dave and his wife should talk to Sally and say, hey, you know, we love you. How you're living? I got questions. We love you, as brothers and sisters of Christ, but we need to. 
the pastor's kind of been implying that maybe that might be his job. That's not what he's here for. And that's not why he goes to church. He goes to church because it's good. It's so enjoyable. I love the music. And man, I love it when the pastor, man, he has a great sermon. And he evaluates everything based on what he's going to get out of it. Dave has not taken that cross-centered life because Jesus, when he went to the cross, that wasn't just about fulfilling a duty. It was about his love for the world and his father's love for the world, for people, actual people. Jesus, do you look at his life and see someone who is willing to get messy with the masses? Yes. Dave, he loves the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is up and away preaching. He doesn't always like the stuff that follows when Jesus is talking to the tax collectors and the sinners and the people with leprosy. It sounds great in Sunday school on a flannel graph. But for Dave, no thank you. I use these three examples. And like I said, if it rang true, if it hit home, it's not intentional. These are three examples that I think that you're going to see in this book of Corinthians. We've seen some already. And some of you that have been with us since we started 1 Corinthians, you're like, I, I know what he's, he's referencing that. He's referencing that. He's referencing that. I get that. Um, one of these in particular, we're going to see in the very next chapter. When, in fact, we're going to see these played out so much more clearly as we go through because Chapters 5 through 15, Paul's going to start getting into the nitty-gritty of examples. Not just talking about it here, but I think he's starting to allude to it. Not just talk, but effectiveness. What, is, what do these words look like? What does the word of the cross look like in your life? What does the word of the cross look like on Monday? What does the word of the cross look like when you're around somebody that frustrates you or annoys you? What does the word of the cross look like when, when you're tempted to sin. What is, it, what is this? See, there's a connection. And if you have gone through life so far, and there's the word, and then here's your life, and you've compartmentalized them into two separate categories, then I would say right here and now, it's talk without power. And the kingdom of God, Paul said, does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, I don't have a part four, because part four is where we take communion. Now, what I'm going to do, and the, my, my hope in this, and this is why I've enjoyed having this every single week so far, because what, what we're doing now is this is your opportunity to, man, that one guy, you know, maybe you're sitting there going, I think when he said Bob, I think he actually said my name once. When he said Sally, that was me. When he said Dave, that was, man, that was ringing true. I think he was implying it was me. If you rearrange the letters and add these two, that's my name. No. But maybe you're sitting there going, some of that stung. This is your opportunity to say this. If there's anything good in me, it's but by the grace of God. And so then we'll t I'll take, I'll partake in repentance. See, while you're sitting there holding, examining yourself, saying, Lord, I, I, I've, not, I've been missing it here. I, don't, I think I've been all talk, but no power. The kingdom of God does not consist of that. 
Well, I want to be part of the kingdom of God. Lord, help me to repent. Maybe you're even hearing it going, I don't know if I quite get what he's saying about the cross infiltrating every part of my life, but, but I, I think now, I at least know I want it to. Perfect opportunity for you to say, Lord, I'm getting ready to partake of this bread and this cup, and I want it to be meaningful. I know it's just bread and a cup, but Lord, help me to repent if I've not allowed your word to infiltrate into every aspect of my life. And so then you take. You say, I'm doing this to remember you, right? Isn't that what we say when we take this? I do this to remember you. And maybe as you're taking that bread and you're remembering, maybe you're thinking, picturing Jesus' physical body. He would have experienced pain all the same ways that we would have. Going to a cross, crown of thorns, back, already raw from the beating he'd had. Hung up on the cross, hands nailed, feet nailed. At any point, Knowing, imagine this, knowing you have the ability to make it all stop at any second you want, but staying because he loves and he wants to be obedient to the Father, to see both aspects at play. Be obedient to the Father. This is what he's called me to do, but I also love these people. That, that's part of it. Cross, that kind of mentality. Do you go through life with that kind? Man, I don't think I do. Like, I, I wouldn't have done that. You should. You should be willing to. Jesus says, come follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. Count the cost and follow me. You've seen what I did, now go and do likewise. You hear Jesus' words saying those things? Absolutely. And maybe you've kept these things at a distance and the reality is right here, right now today, you're sitting there going, I've been all talk, but no power. There's hope. The power isn't yours. The power comes from the, the very word of the cross. The power, that's exactly what Paul's been talking about. The very word of the cross is that power. So I sit up here and I tell you about it. And then you hear it. And what happens? How does the power start to happen? Because the very fact that maybe you're sitting there going, man, I don't think that's me. That's part of it. And it, the light bulb goes on. What is that? That's part of it. And you're going, man, I want to. That's part of it. And so you say, I'm going to try to, I mean, just the very fact you might be thinking, I want to try to change this week. That's part of it. That's God working in you. You're not smarter than everybody else. You got the spirit of God is working in you maybe right now. And if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I don't care how old, I don't care how long you've been sitting in church, but if you've made it this far and you made it a long time, or maybe you're just brand new to it and you're sitting there and you're going, man, I've been all talk, but no power, not real power. I'm a pretty good person, but man, the power of the cross infiltrating every part of my life, I don't even know if I can comprehend that. Today could be the day that all changes because God has opened your mind and your heart to that reality. Maybe you're sitting there going, I want that. I want that. 